Welcome to Semaphore and Cut, a place where we talk about cutting-edge technologies and people that uh, build those. Uh, my name is Darko. I'm your host for today. And today with us, we have Steve Peake. Steve, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi. Thank you, Darko, for having me on here to your show. Yeah, I've been a, a decade-long entrepreneur and engineer. It's been a really great time being kind of out of the big business. My journey started pretty early. I built a point-of-sale company. It never really took off, but there's a lot of learnings in there. I uh, spent about like six or seven years in that company. We got uh, a number of customers that were asking for like long-running business logic and long-running asynchronous programming. And it was, you know, as an engineer, like you want to say yes to these challenges, but like we all know, uh, like client wants to change it constantly, or they play code, and then they don't want to pay for it, or like the, you know, the full price tag at which you're worth. So uh, it was a challenge that like I wanted to solve, um, and so prototyped uh, the first called StoryScript. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of early to the industry, so I kind of put it in the back burner. I then quickly jumped onto building a company called CodeCov, mm-hmm. which grew quite well in the developer ecosystem. It was a really great pleasure to bring that to developers and learn a lot from the industry, but also just like provide a really great dev tool that I was very passionate about developing for people. I've recently um, exited that company. It's led by um, Jared Engelberg and a number of other developers and crew that are very fantastic, and they are going to build that company into a great product and continue to take on the legacy mm-hmm. of it. I uh, now focused on StoryScript, uh, and we're uh, a team of uh, 11 now, actually, and we're looking to transform application development. Um, so it's a big, tall order, a big, ambitious goal, but someone's got to do it, and I'd love to go over how that's going to be possible uh, during this chat. Great, great. Uh, so you mentioned CodeCov, and I think that uh, a lot of our you know, listeners and viewers uh, have you know, sooner or later heard about or used the product. So maybe we can give them now the opportunity to hear, uh, you know, a, a kind of a bit more detailed story about, you know, when it started and what was the journey. Yeah, well, the starting the code cove was uh, almost kind of accidental. Um, when I was working on the point of sale company, I was getting just like heavily invested with mm-hmm. testing. And we all know the importance of testing. And so one of the things that I felt that was missing in the ecosystem, a coverage tool that merged reports, because I was doing many different types of tests, whether it be like unit tests or integration tests, or also just like different types of Python packages or adding my front end to it. It was like a homebrewed like weekend project that I was like, okay, it'd be fun to do this. Like I need this, it'd be valuable. And then, you know, I was a Python developer, so I went to the Python community and just tapped on a couple people's shoulders in IRC at the time was like, just kind of mm-hmm. jump on board. And they started to be like, is there a name behind this thing? Because I just like didn't have a business name. It was just like a kind of like a small tool and didn't even take not like two or three weeks before it was like, okay, this is a business. Like there's a demand for this and it's very prevalent. So like I said, just specifically, I just the need and desire for the tool that I wanted as an engineer myself. Oh, great. Great. Yeah. I love those stories when people, you know, in a very short, you know, time frame figure out, okay, so this is really something and yeah, they jump onto it straight away. Okay, and that journey, since you know you started until it grew into a company, and you decided to to move to the next thing, which is StoryScript, which we are going to talk about. How long did you work on the CodeCov, and before you kind of passed it along? Yes, yeah, so I was uh, the sole employee of CodeCov for about three and a half years. It was a really wild journey. I mean, I was specifically focused on the stack itself and the technology. And over the course of those three and a half years, I shifted more into doing sales and support and other things. And the technology started to get my primary attention. And that was evident in the lack of one, which I used to do. I used to be able to get a customer asking for something and build it that day and deploy that That's day. Right. And that was something I was really proud of doing. It was really fantastic and allowed us to grow really fast. And so it came to the point when, um, you know, like I felt that 
code company to grow beyond me. It was treated kind of like a lifestyle business mm-hmm. for a little bit, but it still was growing and very professionally. And uh, I was just lucky to find someone great in my network to kind of take up the uh, operational role and then eventually take up CTO and a bunch of other uh, developer positions. And these are all amazing people that are very passionate to build the software. So it's really nice to somebody mm-hmm. with a whole team to really build out the features that we all dream of. And CodeDev has a very bright future and it has a lot of, it's unbelievable how much green grass there is. There's really no company out there, including CodeCov, that has fully utilized, like captured the audience of what coverage can be. There's new things in the uh, feature pipeline that they're unveiling and it's very exciting times. And it's going to be really great for the developer ecosystem to have this kind of tooling in the back of my mind being like looking at the industry again like talking to enterprise customers that we had and talking to developers the industry is ready for something different and new so the industry is ready because we're looking at distributed hacker and the adoption of serverless technologies well too and they're we're starting to move to this distributed system which is fantastic we lose the observability that is beautiful in a monolith and i saw that the industry was coming to this certain point where we're like okay we can build story scripts we can build a language that solves this observability issue. Um, and so we can go into a lot more detail about that, but I was taking on this challenge and I felt like the industry deserved it. And I felt like the customers and developers themselves were kind of eager to, to adopt a new technology. And we've had high level programming languages for 30 years and maybe not remove them at all, but like we need something above that. We need programming languages. And so it's been really exciting to unveil StoryShift and what we can do and the power behind it. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, when we initially spoke and I heard the idea behind the story script, I was also, okay, yeah, I felt there is definitely a need for that. And uh, yeah, I was passing uh, to you along the story of how many thousands of, you know, Kubernetes YAML files we have. It kind of stabilized and we live with it. You learn to live with some of those things. It doesn't mean that they are like good and they, they should be that way. Uh, but there's definitely a, a lot of opportunity. But to stop maybe teasing our listeners, <laughs> maybe you can uh, kind of uh, yeah. go back and explain what are your targets uh, and what, what do you want to achieve? Yeah. So, I mean, trying to paint this picture with me, right? So over the course of the last 90 years, technology has abstracted in a massive way. It allows us to focus on what matters most. It allows us to add new developers to the industry like never before. We no longer have to program in assembly low-level languages. And then we introduce high-level languages so we don't have to really think about memory allocations and M-locks and these things, right? And so now we're getting closer and closer and closer to, if you have an idea, the first thing I tell you is in my native tongue, like, okay, I want to upload a video, I want to compress it, I want to extract machine learning topics, put it in a database. What I just described, it's data flow. And that data flow itself, right, when I have to program this in traditional languages and most all high-level languages, there ends up being significant code. There ends up being a lot of DevOps behind it. And the scalabytes and the tooling, and these things start to add up. And we call this unnecessary complexity. In the end, all you want to do is just move data between services. And so this whole principle of service-oriented architectures or service-oriented programming is something that the industry is naturally leaning into or moving towards. One could argue that languages today don't really satisfy this service-oriented approach. In fact, like if I even do a language, for that matter, you really are restricted in some ways, right? You have to pick libraries in Python, naturally. Like, yes, there are bindings to other languages, and there's other APIs we can call, but naturally we move towards the library of that parent restrictions. This is not a, not a full replacement strategy. If we had a new language that described data flow, that was also talking to the cloud providers and not a single computer because, well, let's face it, right? Today's technology doesn't run on one computer anymore. It runs on many computers. So our resources are no longer CPU and memory. Our resources are nodes, databases, ingress routes, yeah. right? 
And so we need a language that communicates with this new strategy of development. Language StoryScript is exactly this. It's focused specifically on the story of data, hence being StoryScript, focused on the business logic, and the services that are underneath fully polyglot microservices or functions, and they run in a serverless way. So now you can combine Ruby and Python and Node uh, microservices and Docker with uh, a couple functions in whatever language you want. And now you're focused on just moving data from A to B to C. And this is all done asynchronously, which is beautiful. And it all takes care of your DevOps for you. So when you do story deploy, a lot like Heroku, we take a lot of inspiration from Heroku and the way they did their thing. But Heroku is naturally in the monolith land and we're in the distributed land. So, But when you do story deploy, it goes and fetches all of your containers and it pulls them down. So maybe you have six different microservices. It creates all the Kubernetes configuration, the deployments, the replica sets, all the kind of orchestration. And it puts those in Kubernetes for you. And then it manages all your ingress routes, like Kafka, the ELK stack, Prometheus and Grafana, cloud native toolings for you out of the box. And of course, you can plug and play them as you want. We're not trying to tell developers, here's the one way you have to do it. Like you have to use Go and it has to be RPC. No, 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 none of that. Choose the way you interact with your service to find it. Let's truly have reusable services in the industry. There's so many different approaches that this will help the developer's ecosystem, but ultimately it allows us to focus on what matters most, which is just business logic. And future programming is going to move closer and closer to that concept where we're no longer going to be thinking about things that we're thinking about today, right? And there's so much abstraction happening. So we're taking the approach of like, hey, like here's a language. It doesn't replace other languages. It's focused on um, moving data and use other languages to do the heavy lifting. And so you get to combine amazing technologies. I mean, we can do machine learning, one line of code. We can do a Slack bot, a Twitter bot, a GitHub uh, webhook handler. We can do OAuth and all these other beautiful things in just like one or two lines of code. And then combine all these services together to make one cohesive story of data. Yeah, you explained it like uh, very well. <laughs> But Thanks. let me dig in and uh, kind of try to map what we operate in uh, today. So for instance, we have like Sanford 2 is built... We have uh, Ruby, we have Elixir, and we have Go. Those are kind of the, the languages I would say 90% is in Elixir, but we are combining those together. Uh, we are using gRPC on one end, you know, to kind of move that data together uh, between those services and so they can talk. And on the other hand, we have that, what I mentioned, we have, uh, you know, Kubernetes, which, you know, mm-hmm. StoryScripts also works with. And then there is that, you know, level of complexity and DevOps. And, you know, there are like many abstractions within Kubernetes that, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to know about. <laughs> uh, yeah. So maybe my main question is, so those services that are, you know, talking together, what's the data format that they are, you know, they're passing the data through? Yeah. So one of the things, like, first, we got to break down your application into services, right? So a service can be a database. It could be Twilio. It could be a, a custom service to trigger a build. It might be, uh, you know, some type of like maybe a YAML parser. These are all just services, right? So those services could be defined in any language with any protocol. So they might be an HTTP Python service. They might be a mm-hmm. Go RPC. Our runtime, so we have the language story script. We have the story script cloud. So it's the runtime that will manage that data continuity, right? So if your service says, hey, I communicate with, with RPC, our runtime is like, okay, cool, there's no problem. We'll just extract this data and then pass it to you and we'll handle all that communication. So some of you would have to find your services and you might already have them done already in whatever language, et cetera. So what you've done is you've written code, you've wrapped in Docker, And now the missing piece is the definition is microservice guide, which is how the service starts. This is how I communicate. These are its actions. Here's RPC uh, endpoints and, and all this kind of thing. 
here's the output of the actions and the events. So it's both uh, event-driven and uh, action commands and all these kind of things. So the story script comes into play with communication of these things. We're not replacing RPC, but we're utilizing it. We're not replacing HTTP, we're utilizing it. But utilizing them all takes a journey, right? As well as Kafka and these like messages and all these kind of things. So in uh, Semaphore, you would look at being, okay, like customers, or when someone clicks a button on our website, what happens, right? And so you start to break that down into services, right? Like I have to go to the database, I have to validate this payload, I have to like wait for this trigger to happen. And all of these could be microservices, they could be ones, but at least that high level business logic is exposed, um, which is very beautiful. And just to be clear though, like we're engineers to move their current technology stack into StoryScript. It's not like, let's just like reinvent the wheel and let's transform our digital ecosystem. That's not what we're asking for. We're looking as like, look, we've identified that there's so many things that developers have to do and there's so many things that they have on their backlog, right? In Semaphore, for example, if you wanted to add some machine learning to identify like diffs of like, maybe we don't need to run tests because maybe just a YAML or documentation change, mm-hmm. right? That's something big into your code base to go implement that. You can yield an event, let StoryScript handle it, and use this machine learning model, use this, you know, database, use, you know, kind of like Lego block style piece this thing together and then call it back into your stack. So we're looking at like, what is the next integration of these kind of things? But eventually over time, we'd like to start to take challenges. So we truly believe that like the next generation of development will start with developers will think, what should I write in my story script to build my application? And then fill in the blanks later with the, the, the high level, low level languages under the hood. My application is built on story scripts, right? And like, this is my core business logic is laid out right here. Here's my marketing strategies. Here's my yeah. operational strategies. Here's my onboarding, these kind of things. Okay. Yeah, that's clear and makes sense. And, uh, when you were uh, talking about this, you mentioned uh, StoryScript Cloud or something like that. So in terms of deployment, so what I'm really, you know, interested in <laughs> getting rid of those 15K lines of, you know, Kubernetes YAML right. file and also that observability and all the things that we have to do manually. So with, you know, every new yeah. service, you know, you need to write a couple of lines of Prometheus, you know, query language to query something. Then you need to do Grafana, set up those dashboards. And I mean, okay. That's all doable and uh, yeah. and and well, it's it's boilerplate, right? Yeah. And that's what we identify. So let's take a a generic example, right? Let's take like the GitHub API, right? So GitHub API, like every developer has to utilize HTTP REST endpoint. They have to call the same actions with the same input and and get the same type of output, right? Of course, it's unique, but like it's the yeah. same structure. But also, GitHub API is more than that, right? It has error handling. It has rate limiting metrics. GitHub might be down. And we want to identify that. So we might have to go check the GitHub status to make sure it's still running. And they want to implement uh, beta features. And and as a developer, we're like, oh, man, we got to go and read all their docs. We got to go, like, troubleshoot this. We got to figure I, I went through that pain before. It's not to blame GitHub. This is just generally this is how we have to do I propose something different, right? Why doesn't GitHub create and manage their own microservice that comes complete with statistics and metrics embedded in it, comes complete with documentation that's consistent to other services. So then you have globalized, consistent, standardized documentation, which allows during the typing process to be very beautiful to call those arguments and get the outputs, right? But then also like when I call GitHub in my stack, it'll automatically do these boilerplate things like here's your Grafana, here's your metrics, like, all these things. And in fact, when you so to talk about the deployment a little bit too, right? So mm-hmm. So we've identified, like, when you look at Kubernetes configuration, there's also an extreme amount of boilerplate code in there, right? So, for example, you have just, like, you start a service like this, it goes to this port, has to do these ingress routes. Well, ingress routes is, like, you know, maybe you use other technologies like Kong or something else, right? Like, so they start to, like, work with each other. But ultimately, like, a lot of this has to do with, like, moving data from the ingress or some other controller back to the service and service back out. 
if you actually take a more holistic view and take a step back, like a lot of these are actually pretty standardized, like across, um, we only have a couple ways of communicating with a microservice. There's only push and pull, yeah. like do commands and your yield events, right? So like if we look at the consistencies between services, we can start to create a framework around this, right? And a definition. So when developers end up doing deployments, we don't believe that people should be doing Kubernetes configuration. Like the runtime should be able to generate those for you and be able to figure out, you know, where to put your services and how to manage them, where the replica sets, like all these kind of things and be a little bit more intelligent about it. Like we look at this being like very intelligent, like orchestration or orchestration platform on top of the framework of Kubernetes. Also it's Hightower and many other selves, like Kubernetes is intended to be abstracted away. Like it is a framework and there should be platforms on top of it. However, like if you look at the industry today, like most businesses are adopting Kubernetes, which they shouldn't. What we need to adopt is a platform on top of Kubernetes and utilize Kubernetes just like we utilized Red Hat and Linux and other services. We didn't have to build Linux or really fully bite into it as much as we utilize these platforms. Yeah, um, but we have to wait for that moment for that platform to yeah. arrive. <laughs> and that could be story script. Yeah. So like just to kind of give a whole encompass of what we have, right? The language which is Turing complete, strongly typed, statically written uh, programming language. It comes complete with a lot of cool features like you would expect in an LSP or like a strongly typed mm -hmm. language. So it has like type system, it has auto-completing, of course, syntax highlighting and like integration with your IDE. So it's got really cool features. It's like really easy to program. And it's also got deep integration across all these other tools. So we have the story script cloud, which is much like Kuroku.com or like a self-hosted you know, platform, right? So you launch your stories on the cloud and then it does all the deployment for you. So it's a zero DevOps deployment. That's what we're intending on doing. Um, and then now the services come from the story script hub. And this is like, think of like Docker, like that's the foundation, right? Where it's a place where there's a registry of services, but we take it to a whole new degree. We have standardized documentation, which also gets put into the typing process, which is amazing. So when you go discover service in our hub, it's the same documentation on every service, which is super mm -hmm. cool. Like that's unprecedented, never, never really been True. done before. Yeah, and then uh, we also have like the Docker store. There could be pricing in the future for services that have like premium, like machine learning models or some like awesome compression kit you want to pay for. We also have the ability to like cross application anonymized metrics. So think about this, like if like go back to the GitHub example, right? GitHub's rate limiting or like their uptime is very like specific to a business. In fact, it's specific to GitHub, right? So as a company or even as an engineer or the person that developed GitHub or GitHub themselves, having understanding like, hey, like how many people are actually using this is valuable in production? Like how many times does it air? Like we should be able to tell you like millions of execution data points, this thing fails 0.02% of the time. And maybe these are the reasons why. This can also help developers build better services, you know? So this continuity of the product is very valuable and powerful. So there's just like the things are the, the language, the runtime, and the library, which is our hub. It's really great. This is like kind of like a trifecta you would expect in any language, right? But ours is more cloud native development, which is not like much anything out there uh, that developers have seen before. It's quite unique and- Yeah, it reminds me of Visual Basic. <laughs> In, in a good way. <clears throat> it's like one of the first languages that I, you know, met. And, you know, now kind of what's 25 years later, you know, there is still nothing that is on that level. So you have to write HTML and CSS and Kubernetes YAML and a number of other things. You could draw a couple of buttons, double click on a button, you write a piece of code, thank you, run, and it runs. <laughs> yeah. 
I agree completely on that, you know, cloud native way. So there are a couple of things that are handled for you. You don't have to think about them. But when you were describing the language as, you know, strongly typed, you know, compiled and all that. So one very interesting element, I mean, there are probably, you know, similar DSLs in maybe some other areas, but to what it compiles. So it compiles to almost like an infrastructure, right? Yeah, in a way. So so compiling, there's really two different strategies, right? Like taking something, changing it to something yeah. else, right? Whether they're different. And then transcribing or interpreting is like giving that raw input. That's generally speaking, that's kind of how these two things work. It's actually kind of neat when you really think about it, right? So if you define a service, right? In our story script, it's one line. It says like, you know, the result equals service action input. Now, if I were to write this in like the most verbose way in like a YAML or JSON, right? I would say, okay, like operation one is a dictionary. Like, okay, the service is this, the input's this, like action is this, the inputs are all these things in these positions, this like giant glob of JSON data. And it's not very readable, right? Like JSON in general is nice, but it's not really like I can just like skim through and like really find stuff really quickly, right? And try to reposition JSON data, that's just not really feasible. But repositioning programming languages is very feasible, right? Like you can do Vim, fly around, you're good, right? So, So this language gets compiled into this JSON event logic tree. Let's just call it, right? Mm -hmm. It's a big tree of saying, do this, then do this, then do this. And when our runtime gets that, it goes through and be like, okay, these are microservices. Let's pull down those containers according to the versions, right? And then these are functions. So let's package those up and let's put those in Knative OpenAPI or some VM or something, right? We'll help you manage these things and choose them. And then it's like, okay, here runtime, here's the manuscript. Like here's the flow of data you need to do. And our runtime is like, cool. We're going to cache those objects across our runtime, right? And so now the data flow is very, very fast because the objects are alive. It's a living system. And then so if I have to go communicate with the service, you know, I have this execution path through some maybe some internal built-in stuff like, like string uppercase and, you know, sort and all these kind of things that developers are used to a for mm-hmm. loop, right? So services like, you know, GitHub, GitHub API, like I'll go get this data, right? And instead of me doing HTTP fetch, like with these headers, with all these things, all that's boilerplate code is unnecessary, right? I educate that information to that microservice, right? And the microservice may even be a proxy for all we matter, right? It could even be an open API spec. So it doesn't even talk to a middleware service. It goes directly to the server. Beautiful. And so now this is an orchestration framework, right? So we're orchestrating that data flow between these, these microservices. Yeah, it's quite unique in these ways, but it is compiled. So it's compiled to our own runtime. We'll interpret that ultimate compiled manifest into infrastructure. So to achieve the goals you need, right? And that's ultimately where development's going. Like, I would argue that the future developer, hey, I don't know how many years, maybe we'll be looking at there in 15 years, but regardless, the journey of development is going to end up in a place where their names, they're just commoditized services, like compute, storage, mm-hmm. like it's all the same in the end. And then, like, so the developers are just focusing on business logic, right? So we're just trying to, we're trying to get there closer, quicker. Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's amazing what we can do. Um, if you go to our website, we have some small demos on there. We're working aggressively. We're scaling like crazy right now, but we're focused on a lot of examples. In just a matter of, like, under, like I think it was, like, 40 lines of code, I built an auto-labeling Gmail service with machine learning. So, like, it learned from my emails, and then it labeled emails for me. And that was it, like... 39 some lines of code and a story and i get metrics i get insights i get logs i get like so the observability i hope that at this point in the conversation Mm -hmm. like the developers your audience will start thinking well steve like he kind of indirectly answered the question of observability right because you have story script that is your tool for observability 
it looks like a monolith, but is fully distributed. It's very beautiful, right? So if you have an error, like we can show you code. It, it happened right here, right? Just like you would in a monolith. There's actually really cool things we can do with error management if you want to go in that direction as well too. But yeah, like observability to me, it comes down to simple, like, like observability is the truth of data, right? Like where have you defined your logic? That's the truth, right? And so I think that in a distributed system, applying a tool to do tracebacks and to do insights of data flow is ultimately not the source of truth, right? Your source of truth is actually the kind of like the, the Kafka or event streaming or just like some other type of orchestrator. The separation is very, very poor of a design practice. Um, but having a continuity of observability, just like a monolith, is very valuable. Yeah. Us, you know, moving from monoliths to like microservices, that observability is something that you really have to learn and the yeah. hard way. And uh, that communication between distributed systems, you know, there is, you know, just a lot of that communication. So doing that reliably and knowing what you are doing is like, I would say, very hard. Uh, yes. Yeah, we have a couple of years of building distributed systems. So, okay, we are kind of, okay, we are accepting that <laughs> and, you know, learning to live with that. But yeah, it's it's definitely, definitely not easy. And uh, yeah, when, when you were describing how that uh, story script is compiled into that JSON tree, yeah, that's, that, that's really powerful. I mean, if you hit the very sweet spot with the story script of like usability and, you know, people loving mm-hmm. it and so on, I mean, the backend can be, anything okay today it's kubernetes but maybe yeah. it can be something high exactly. level at some point yeah yeah absolutely you know we could switch off from you know docker swarm even kubernetes has a little bit of overkill for what the use case we're seeing mm-hmm. right like and that, but that's fine like kubernetes is fantastic it's been industry adopted like the platform is open source and so like it's apache 2 license so you can be able to chuck this on your own kubernetes cluster and just run it that's great and then if you look at the cncf landscape mm-hmm. the linux foundation you know, Kubernetes obviously won. We're already a member of the CNCAF landscape, but we want to be closer and closer in partnership with them on a lot of things, including contributing our open microservice guide, which can be found at microservice.guide website. Mm, great, great. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. check it out. Obviously, there are like many challenges. You know, we have been running companies for, for sure. a while and all that. But in these, in terms of these like design things and technical challenges, so mm-hmm. there are those two elements, like designing the language and, you know, features and usability and all that and the other side that running that backend you know making sure that it works which is the biggest area of like challenges that you see at this point yeah i mean you bring up good points like design yeah you have both sides of the fence right and so the developers come in from this usability and they need to make sure they have the trust in that interface to be able to execute properly and that's something on our end where we position ourselves in the market right mm-hmm. now is we're not looking for like big productionized things with like thousands of lines of code. Like so it's nice to focus on something small to test it out and to see how users work with the language. And because we're not a general purpose programming language, like we don't need to do the heavy lifting. So algorithms or like machine learning models or just like writing byte data processing for like video compressors or something. That's not what we're made for. So the scope of the project is actually smaller than like if you look at, well, I'm never going to make a programming language because it's incredibly difficult, and it is. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> but if you do it in the scope of being very specific, saying, I'm just going to move data and let other things do the heavy lifting for you, that scope becomes a little smaller, and you start to be focused. So I think we've done a really good job of managing that focus. There's still so much maturity to do, but we've come so far. And there's a lot of usability. In fact, there's even people using us in production, which is still trying to be like, no, nah, we'll be shy to do that. But like, just kind of beautiful. It's really cool. But we want to keep advancing the language. But we're behind that. It's a little arrogant. 
Um, and considering that we are at open source, like it's best for us to contribute with the industry to see like what people think we should move into. You know, we have a lot of GitHub issues open in StoryScript, specifically language, talking, like allowing people to come in and like encouraging them to come in to make their input. Be like, hey, like I think it'd be cool to do this or think like this, right? And we have a lot of discussions about this. And we try to keep very transparent about it. But the design of the language is simple. We believe readability and transparency in Dataflow is key to a successful language. Because we don't have to worry about the heavy lifting, we could focus on making the simplicity of data flow, the observability and these kind of other things. Our runtime is obviously focused on the scalability and about the reusability and all these other things, right? So language is designed for like the least amount of syntax as we can come up with, not aggressively, but just like recognizing that developers, like we don't want them to have assumptions. Like we want them to be able to have a transparent view with their data flow, data structures, and also invite new engineers. Like, let's get real. Like, development is only, what, maybe 0.3% of the world can code. And even out of those 0.3% of the world, a significant amount of those have a difficult time doing anything with value. <laughs> and I'm not trying to diss on them. Like, I'm thinking, like, we haven't evolved fast enough. Yet we're ready for it. We are. And I truly believe that the amount of developers in the industry is not going to stop growing. Yeah, it's going to sure. grow more rapidly because the amount of tooling and the amount of the need for developers, it's obvious, right? And I would argue that the one way we can get more engineers in this workforce is to lower that bar, right? Like we need it easier to program. So my brother, for example, like he went to school public health and he works with uh, amazing data. He works with our, our studio and MATLAB. And, and so he, he understands like functional programming a little bit, like statistical programming. But like, I don't even know if he knows what HTTP is. Like where he's at in his software development life cycle is really beginner, right? But yet he has strong need to build application workflows, right? Like long-running asynchronous workflows, ultimately they're applications, backends, right? And yet he doesn't have the resources. And this is a common thing for enterprise where it's like, we're all we're doing is putting out fires as engineers. And yet we have this huge backlog of like, I want this, I would love this. I want to try this, let's experiment with that. And we just say, no, 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 we can't do it. Like we're focusing on other complexities, other things. Look, this can change. We can do better as an industry. We're one of the only companies, I think the only still that is open source, mm -hmm. that's taking this ground roots effort. Developers come to us and let's work on this together. Let's fix this problem together. Let's stop focusing on the complexities of development and focus on the business logic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I really liked uh, the point when you shared that you're not aiming to run 1000 microservices, you know, think right now. So at some point, right. probably we would love to get there, but it's not our main goal right now. I think that there is an art in postponing decisions with following this, you know, Kubernetes growth and all that. I all the time feel that there is like too much complexity that is being exposed, but they're also, I think, really skillful on postponing decisions and making, you know, a basic building blocks and then let's right. wait. So maybe next year we will answer how you will deal with this. So yeah, it requires time. And, you know, a team that can, uh, you know, facilitate that process. But that would be amazing. Yeah. If StoryScript can grow slowly <laughs> in terms of feature yeah. set, yeah. then, you know, yeah. probably those decisions would be much more mature than, you know, here is answer to everything Absolutely. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, it's not smart of us to have an answer for everything tomorrow. And I totally agree. But the truth is, there are a significant amount of development that we can bite off right now today, um, where we are today, you know, being in beta. We welcome anybody to join today. And where we are today, you can build amazing things. You would be shocked at how fast you could build like an AI Slack bot or like a streaming Twitter service with sentiment analysis. It's amazing. It's super fun. You really feel like a developer that's like has this magical wand. And what's really cool is that it's on Kubernetes. Like you're just like, wow, I deployed on Kubernetes and like I didn't even do that. I didn't do anything manual. 
And that was really powerful. And like, yeah, at some point we're going to be doing more and more. Like we can do incredible things. Like everything we talked about here is kind of more of like phase one planning of the business. And as we grow bigger, like, and we have a larger team and we have more impact in the industry, like we can do amazing things with machine learning models and development process, with testing, with scaling, with reusability, with sharing code, maybe doing some predictive things on things, simulations of stories. Um, So like when you deploy, you can do feature flags. So like if you have a large engineering team, you can have multiple people working on the same code base deploying in production at the same time and merging them later. So instead of focusing on one code base and like the future is going to be very bright, not just storage, but just all of us in general. And we believe that no engineer is going to sit here and say, no, Steve, we're done. Like this is the tools we have. It's better. We've made it. It's going to be easier, right? All I'm saying is like, this is probably a big leap storage scripts. A lot of people are like, this looks like a moonshot. But like, I would argue like, look, it's just the next, maybe not the next, but like the next, next, next. (laughs) Or it's something in this pattern of like, it's the next logical journey that development's going to go on, you know? And I really hope to amplify current developers. I mean, even myself, like I'm more than happy to go through and build a whole Python application. I think I didn't code because I built this whole company up with using Python technology and like all those other things, right? Happy to do it again. But like I've identified that like I value my time with my family and my friends and I want to be able to sit back and be like, look, CodeCov and many other companies, it's easier to identify that business logic and implement that in a language that's built for business logic. And that is scalable, that's resilient, that's flexible, that can peek under the hood, that's using Kubernetes and awesome technologies on top of it. And what we've actually done is quite small in the end, right? It's just like the language is one thing. The language is the way to get into the runtime. The runtime is really where all the magic happens. And this is open source as well. So we invite you to go look at what we've done and where we're going and and that kind of thing. Great, great. Uh, Is there some kind of uh, master plan that covers the next five, ten years? Of course, (laughs) always, yeah. I mean, like, I truly believe that whether it's us or not, and this is my goal in life and in this business, is to create 10 times as many programmers as we have today. And it's not just the quantity, because we don't want people to be developing poor things and developing just having too much technical debt. It's also the quality and like focusing on what matters most, right? And I truly believe that there's going to be a massive industry of this as time's unraveling. And you just start to look at the industry like that. I mean, we talk about this a number of times, but like it's just we have to identify that technology growth is not going to change. The long-term plan is to say, okay, here's where we are today's development, identifying the element that haunt our memories. DevOps itself is one of them, right? So let's look at like, let's look at figuring out how to reduce or eliminate DevOps. I mean, it's always going to be around in some way, right? Like we're not saying that it's going to be gone, but like there's some people that may manage it and you won't as a developer. Focus on what matters most. And then looking at where can we take that to the next degree, right? Like if I'm writing a story of a business logic, right? Like I should be able to have incredible amount of information brought to my developer experience. I mean, unprecedented, like we've never seen before, right? Where I have historical data, maybe it's even predicting where I want to go with the story, right? When I run it and simulate it, I'm using, you know, one month of previous information and looking through it, right? When I'm live coding this, like instead of deploying, there's no more deploying anymore. It's just when I'm typing and I go to my next line, it uses 1% of traffic to like test to see if this works. And if it fails, then go back to the original version. There's amazing things you can do when you have a language that's not compiled to one computer that is ran through this cloud native runtime that is smart that can be air resistant and resilient there's amazing things that you can do with that so the future is really looking at like making development just terribly simple like embarrassingly simple because it's focused on what matters most 
And that's just business logic, right? And I really love to see businesses start to create more reusable software and own their services, right? Like I think GitHub and Twitter and Twilio and then like Image Magic and like you name it, every company, even Semaphore, right? And CodeCov and, and everything. They should create a microservice that's highly reusable that any developer can call in one line of code and use it, right? In fact, it, developers are going to see this in GitHub by the end of the year because of us, right? Where you can go in and click one button and try any piece of software. Right. That's defined by the microservice guide, right? Because you have to have some way to talk about it. But that's going to really change development, right? It's going to allow us to have more reusable software that has more integration, like standardized documentation. These things are so beautiful. Staying dry. We hope this to be the most inclusive platform for developers, but also the most dry platform. Yeah, I mean, giving the place to enter my credit card <laughs> to buy this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like, and speaking of pricing, I'd love to be very clear on what we're doing for pricing. So our value is in the tooling, right? So you can run this on your own, mm -hmm. you know, so there's open core, like our future technology might have some paid elements, but like everything you need to get running is all open source, right? So you can run on your own Kubernetes cluster and go that way, right? Or you can use our infrastructure, right? We'll be multi-cloud. We'll make sure you have uptime really high and all this kind of stuff. But we're not going to charge you for the hosting. We're going to send that bill over to your way, right? So let's say your Google bill, or if you're multi-cloud, like your Google plus Amazon bill is 100 US a month. Let's just say mm -hmm. just arbitrarily, right? Our product is going to be priced per user. And so like our pricing is very clear. Our incentives are very clear, right? Like we want to make sure the developer has the value, right? And then give a shared incentive to actually decrease it, right? Because we're not making a cut for yeah. this. We don't want to, right? So it's our incentives to create that bill from 100 to 80 because it shows you that we care about you. So now when our lead engineers or our new employee we just hired to our code base that like significantly make development more powerful, but also less expensive, we're not shy to accept that. You know, if we were marking up our cloud, we'd be like, ooh, yeah. this might improve our product by 50%. Like we drop our bill by 50%. That's awful. That's bad for business. Like we have a shared incentive now. So I really believe in highly transparent pricing that focuses on where our value add is, which is in the developer tooling. Okay. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, is there maybe something that I haven't asked, but uh, you wanted to share? Maybe about uh, the future, the next steps. Uh, what's the place maybe to go and check out things? So if you go to storyscript.io, you just drop your email in there and we'll invite you to beta. The documentation at docs.storyscript.io. I'm the founder of the company and I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about this. It doesn't matter who you are. I want to talk to everybody. I want to hear what they feel about the platform, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between, right? And I want to share this vision. I want to share this experience with people to learn from them and also they can learn from us. And so we're trying to scale up those efforts, um, build a community around the product because ultimately like we believe that, I mean, any programming like a strong community behind it, right? And I'm very ambitious and it might sound like a pipe dream, but I truly believe that story scripts over the course of the life of this company will become the most popular programming language, far surpassing JavaScript in the industry. Maybe not coming up to where Excel is, you know, because <laughs> Excel is actually the more popular programming language. But nonetheless, I don't know, Excel programming, eh, I don't know. It's more functional or just, you know. But I truly believe that StoryScript can be the most powerful programming language because we're not replacing any other language. We're a new category of top-level programming. And so I really encourage the audience to think about this, right? Like I've said some bold terms, I've said some bold concepts, right? And like we're evolving, we're changing, we're trying to pick out the things that we can focus on right now today, but then like pick off the things later that we can so that we can get feedback, we can learn, we can grow with the new features of the industry like serverless or Google Cloud. And so I really encourage the audience to just like, just think about it, right? Like 
think like I did when before I started StoryScript, where it's like, where is the industry going? Like, what is the next big thing? Because it's not what we have today. It's something else. And I encourage them to provide that feedback to us and see if they come up with something different, because I'd love to hear yeah. that. Yeah, it's very it's very inspiring, forward-looking. It's also, yeah, it seems to be the very right thing. So hopefully we will not have to wait for the next five or ten years, but it will, you know, come sooner <laughs> to all of us. <laughs> and yeah, maybe I would just invite people to also uh, jump into your Slack channel that you have. Yeah. That's where I met you when I discovered the uh, story script. So yeah, that's a great place where you can follow the development and, that, and how things are going. Yeah, that link is at the bottom of our website. We're looking to do events. Like if you fall in love with the platform and really like what we're building, like we can train you up on hosting your own meetups and we can give you some swag and some pizza and coupons, yeah. whatever you want, you know, like, and so um, we're based in Amsterdam and obviously my accent and not from Amsterdam, <laughs> not Dutch, but uh, I love it. love the culture out here. I love the people out here. So like Amsterdam living is just second to none and we're building a team we're hiring so i am honestly here and passionately here in the industry to provide this product to developers and that is success for me not looking at how can i make the most money out of this and how can i like giving developers fear that we're looking to like replace them and that's not what we're doing we're like we're like really like look let's do this together so i encourage people to join our mission as well too great great well it was a amazing talk very inspiring thank you thank, thank you, you so much for joining us and yeah, good luck with StoryScript. Thank okay. you so much. Yeah, and I uh, appreciate your guys' time and look forward to hearing from yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.